Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, week 18 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. I'm back from Italy, and I know that if you listened to the pod last week, you're like, hey, how come you're not talking about the debates or the mass shootings? Uh, Because I recorded it before I went to Italy, as I pointed out. (laughs) So uh, we've got a lot to catch up on, America, so uh, let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballot, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. So, you know, you think you could go away, middle of summer, August, Congress is recess. Oh, what's going to happen? And what, could we, what could possibly happen while you're away? And, you know, you forget, you know, in America where uh, we have a president who is really bad at the job of head of state. I don't, I don't care, you know, how you feel about him on policy grounds, I, I disagree with almost everything he's done on policy grounds. Not everything, but almost everything. Um, but on being head of state, and I've talked about this before, that need to have grace and to rise above, he has none of it, right? I mean, uh, this El Paso situation is, is the perfect example. And, you know, I get it. A lot of people are pointing the finger at him, saying his rhetoric uh, has increased the likelihood of these shootings, and that may or may not be true. I I think his rhetoric hasn't helped. I'll be very clear about that. Um, I think that uh, the president of the United States calling Latinos invaders to this country uh, has not been helpful. And when you look at the manifesto of the El Paso shooter, the words of Trump are all throughout that manifesto. Does that mean I blame Trump? I I can't blame Trump for this. I know some people have come out and said it, but I can't blame him for this. He he didn't, I think Kamala Harris said it best. I don't blame him for pulling, he didn't pull the trigger, but he sure did tweet out the ammunition. And there's been a lot of that throughout this presidency. But 
forget about what he did beforehand that might have contributed to the shooting. It's what he has done after that is, you know, just the prime example of how this man has failed at the job of being head of state. The president's job is threefold. You are the head of your party. You are the head of the government. And you are the head of state. All three. It's the trinity of the presidency. And the president has failed miserably at being head of state. And even the most hardened Trump supporters have to agree with that. And I, I, I have some recent examples. I, I last, uh, over the weekend, uh, I was at my high school reunion. And I grew up in a white working class community on Long Island. And many of the people who I grew up with um, are Trump supporters. And we had many conversations. I had a great time at reunion. Everybody uh, was incredibly nice and, and treated me great. Um, but I had a lot of conversations about Trump uh, because they've seen me on TV. They've heard this podcast. They've heard my radio program. Um, they follow me on, on Twitter. We're friends on Facebook, things of that nature. They, they know my politics. And I had a lot of conversations about Trump. And I, I, I have to, you know, I can't get into a policy debate with Trump supporters because I just don't think it matters all that much. But what I want to talk to them about, I want to make them see, and I think in the ones I've had, I had real conversations with over the weekend and even in other circumstances, they can't help but agree that the president has failed in the job of head of state, especially people who have jobs. The way this president acts, you get fired from any job in America that has any kind of HR policy at all. I mean, unless you own the company or it's a closely held company, the man does not behave in a manner that is acceptable in corporate America today. It just is not, not right. He would not survive. So when I say he doesn't have grace, you know, every time there's a tragedy during his presidency, you have the hostage video Trump where he's out there reading from a teleprompter that was probably written by Kellyanne or somebody else who has some experience in politics. You know, the few people who have some experience left in his administration. And he reads that, you know, hostage statement. And then he takes to Twitter and, and he calls out his political enemies. He talks about his crowd size in El Paso. He takes a smiling thumbs up picture in the hospital with a child whose parents were gunned down in El Paso. The president of the United States is the head of state. He represents this nation, not just his supporters, not just people who voted for him, not even just the people who are alive today, but the entire history and culture of the United States of America is embodied in the president of the United States. He has to take that carefully. He has to choose his words carefully, especially in the wake of a national tragedy. Now, I was abroad when that tragedy happened. I was in Italy. And it was my first time in Europe. Everybody thinks, you know, oh, he's a progressive. He must be spending all of his time in Europe. Uh, it's my first time in Europe in my entire life. Um, and it was great. And maybe I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on in the show. Uh, but it was a great trip. But it was surreal. Watching the news back home, looking at my Twitter feed. And just, you know, knowing what was coming, Right. Knowing what was coming from this president, that he wouldn't 
do or say the right thing all the time. And, and you could say that maybe there are some points where he is saying the right thing. He's out there saying he wants to get tough on gun control. He wants to have background checks. He wants to see maybe some bands of assault-style rifles. I, you know, He says those things, and it, and it doesn't happen. Congress is out. Uh, Mitch McConnell said he will not bring the Senate back in early to talk about it. Of course he won't, because if you brought him back right now, you'd have to act. I think Nancy Pelosi should bring the House of Representatives back right now. You know, if you really think there's a crisis in America with guns, treat it like a crisis. Get back to work. Bring everybody home, back to Congress, back to Washington, and act like there's a crisis. Because let me tell you something, there is a crisis. It's not just a gun crisis. It's a leadership crisis. We have a president who is not fit to be the head of state. And I don't care if you like his policies or not. There isn't an ounce of grace in this man. When it comes to dealing with it, he has no empathy. He has no ability to understand the gravity of his words. I mean, I used to work in the United States Senate and we would put out press releases and the senator would make statements and we would painstake over every word because we were concerned about the impacts of his words on things. On markets, frankly. President of the United States... His words matter a lot more than any one senator's words do. Yet it appears to me, and really even to Trump supporters, that he does not choose them carefully. That he does not have the temperament to be the head of state. Remember, it's the trinity of the presidency. You are head of your party, you are head of the government, and you are the head of state. All at once. These are not separate jobs. It's all at once. So everything you say should be chosen carefully. It should be painstakingly thought about. It should not be off the cuff. It should not be from the gut. It's different when you're in a debate and you're a candidate or when you're on The Apprentice or you know when you're running for office and you're going on Fox and Friends or you're talking to Chuck Todd or somebody else. But when you hold the office, When you hold the keys of power in this country, you need to be careful what you say. So when you say that Mexicans are invading this country, there are people who are going to take that to heart and may act on it. When you laugh at a joke in a panhandle rally in Florida, when somebody yells out, shoot them as a response to what should we do about all these Mexicans and, and others flooding our borders and they say shoot him and you laugh and say only in the panhandle could you get away with that well that also inspires people and I'm not saying you're doing it on purpose but you're the president of the United States you are the head of state every word you say everything you do has impact matters impacts other things So yeah, do I think he pulled the trigger? No. Do I think he's the only factor that drove this guy uh, in El Paso to drive across country and, and gun down people in a Walmart? No, I do not think he's the only factor. But he didn't help. And when you're the president of the United States, you need to bring people together. You need to stop elevating the temperature of anger in this country. Everybody's so angry. That's one of the things... I loved about being out of the country. And, 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 you know, you might say, oh, you're on vacation. 
You're not really in places where you're going to see the real people. But I, I did travel outside of the tourist areas in both uh, Rome and Florence. Uh, I was in Rome. I was in Florence. But I traveled outside the touristy areas. And um, the thing I could say is that the people seem happy, right? They, I mean, I can't judge that they're happy or not, right? But there seems to be less anger brewing, at least in Italy. I know that there are parts of Europe that have issues, right? I mean, every society has issues. But there seemed to be a lot of joy in Italy and joy that I think we've lost here because I think that we've been told for the past couple of years that we need to hate each other all the time. That we have to constantly be concerned about what the other side thinks. And that's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed my reunion this weekend. I got to talk to a lot of people and, you know, I do this at Fox too. I talk to a lot of people I don't agree with and I, I tend to like those people as people. I might not agree with their positions, but I tend to like them as human beings and I tend to recognize their humanity and I understand that we all have more in common than than we don't. Now, there are people in this country, I think, on the far right that are intent on driving a wedge into the society along racial grounds. And the President of the United States has not done a good job. He's done a horrible job of trying to move the country away from that. He's ripped the scab off the wound of racism in this country. And I think for crass political purposes. And I'm not saying that he himself is a racist, but he sure do does want racists to vote for him. He sure does want welcome that support. And, you know, when he went out and he denounced white supremacism, white supremacism after El Paso, uh, you know, he couldn't help himself but talk about, you know, leftist problems. You know, here's the thing. When we talk about this Dayton shooter and he, you know, had a, a wide range of political views that he supported online. The thing about it is, yeah, are there some extreme radicals on the far, far left in America who might promote violence? I'm sure there are. But mainstream Democrats and even people like Bernie Sanders, who who has called himself a Democrat, they don't support violence. You know, Bernie Sanders is talking about a higher marginal tax rate to support health care for all. He's not calling his opponents hostile. He's not saying that people who don't agree with him are the enemy of the people. He, he's not calling Republicans the enemy of the state. He may not like what he sees from conservative media, but he rarely talks about it. And, and I'm not a supporter of him, but I'm just thinking of the most far left person running for president right now. The president of the United States, on the other hand, is using that language. He is out there actively using the language of the extreme far right, which used to be something that never happened in American politics. No matter how conservative you were, you didn't use that hostile language. You didn't actively court white supremacist votes by saying there were good people on both sides of a riot led by Nazis 
Let me say neo-Nazis. Nazis. So, you know, let's call it what it is. He's the head of state. He does not act like a head of state. He acts like a spoiled child. He acts like someone who only cares about the job of being head of party. He even ignores, on some occasions, the head of government job. We all know he doesn't like to read. We all know that he doesn't take his daily briefing every day from the intelligence community because, one, he doesn't trust the intelligence community for some reason, maybe because some right-wing kook told him not to. You know, America... We have to start calling it out. It can't just be me. It can't just be liberals and progressives calling them out. I mean, I know I've talked to many conservatives who agree with me. And we saw, you know, over the weekend, even Anthony Scaramucci got into it with him, the former communications director, the Mooch, who was on uh, Bill Maher Friday night. And he said, yeah, you know what? This rhetoric uh, of of hate is, is not something the president should be doing. And he distanced himself from the president. And then the president attacked him on Twitter, of course, because, you know, the president must DVR Bill Maher the same as I do. And he watched it on Saturday. <laughs> I mean, he I'm sure he watches it, America. I'm sure he watches Bill Maher. Um, the man wants to know what people are saying about him. And for a guy who hates, you know, CNN and the New York Times, he sure does uh, retweet a lot of their stories and and try to, you know, call them out for nothing. So it's the failure of this president to lead as head of state in the wake of these shootings and in the wake of other tragedies that we should all be very concerned about. And it is time for Republicans, elected Republicans who are not retiring, to call them out as well and to stand up for American values, particularly the values that we have fought for for so long of racial equality in this country. And I know, look, I've said this before, racism is not like a broken bone. You don't put a cast on it and it heals. Racism is like alcoholism. It will be with us forever in this country. We have a racist beginning. We have a racist ancestry. And we have a racist future ahead of us. That doesn't mean we can't work at it. That doesn't mean we can't be sober. That doesn't mean we can't work to make sure that there are safeguards that exist that don't encourage white supremacism around this country, that these people get you know, get put where they belong, on the outskirts, thought of as quacks outside the mainstream. But this guy wants to bring them in. And he has a hard time calling them out. It took him, a, it took him, I think, two days. After now, my time zones were a little messed up. I was, um, I was in Italy, and I was six hours ahead. So, I don't know. Maybe it was a day, but it seemed like two days to me. But it is a. It's too long. It, it should. It should have been something he did better after Charlottesville. You would think after the Unite the Right rally. But no, I think he looks at them and says, well, those are my supporters. Those are people who voted for me. And he only thinks about the job of head of party. 
Not head of government, not head of state. It's a trinity. And you do it all at once. This is not like England, where the queen is the head of state and the prime minister is the head of government and the head of the party. No. You, Mr. President, are all three of those things. I know that you think Romney's niece is, Rhonda Romney, I can't, I, I'm going to call her Rhonda Romney. I don't care that he doesn't want, he wants to call her McDaniels. No, I know you think she's the head of the party. You're the head of the party. You're the head of the government and you're the head of state. And you can't act like you're not ever. Your words need to be chosen carefully, strategically. You have to think about the impact of your words and your actions in everything you do. Now he's off on a 12-day golf vacation because that's what he does. He plays golf. Good. Stay there. And I think right before I left on my vacation, he was off on a golf vacation. Just for the record, this is a guy who criticized Obama more than anybody else in America about how much he played golf and and. I don't even want to get into how much more golf he's played than Obama. Ridiculous. Hypocrites. Nobody calls him out. No, I call him out. Progressives call him out. But, you know, the Republicans fiddle while this republic burns. And I just got back from Rome, America. I'm fresh in my mind about the fall of a great civilization. And we are a great civilization here in the United States. We are a great power here in the United States, but we're not beyond falling. Rome lasted two, lasted about a thousand years. You know, we've, we've been the hegemon for about a hundred years. I don't know how much longer we have with this guy at the top. This trade war with China, which I'm, I'm you know, I'm not even going to get into on this podcast. He, 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 I don't even think he understands what a tariff is, America. I just don't, I don't get it. So that's my rant on El Paso. I'm going to take a quick break and talk a little bit about uh, my trip on the other side of this. And I also want to talk about, you know, Bill Moore made a great point on Friday night about how the candidates keep on bringing up things from like 30 years ago to try to prove a point today. And, you know, people evolve. And the best point he made was at the end was about Obama evolving on gay marriage um, and the person who helped him evolve. Go by. So uh, stick around. I'll be right back. Hey, America. Christopher Hahn here, the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. What is with the president and the right wing echo chamber encouraging these astroturf protests against stay at home orders around the country? It's ridiculous, and it needs to stop. Check out the Aggressive Progressive Podcast wherever you download podcasts. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, COVID continues to reshape the law. Supreme Court arguments will be held by teleconference. The justices won't even know if the lawyers are wearing pants, which is fair given the eternal mystery of what's under those black robes. Los Angeles County is springing 25% of its inmates. The sheriff suggests folks get ready for what might be a spike in crime. Check it all out on the next episode of Too Many Lawyers. I'm back. Hey, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Uh, you can find out all my appearances there. It's ChristopherHahn.com is my website, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. And if you really like this podcast, 
please tell your friends to download it. Uh, we're doing very well, uh, and I'm really enjoying doing it, and I want to keep doing it. And uh, hopefully you could tell some friends and uh, spread the word because we're growing. Every week we grow. So uh, that's a good thing, and uh, we keep growing at this pace. We're going to do really well. Uh, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter is my Twitter handle. But it's good to be back. I, I did have a great time in Europe. Uh, it is good to be back, though. I, I did Venice, Florence, and Rome. A little time in Tuscany. I did a giant. You know, I have friends that have a house in Tuscany, and I, I did the joke over and over again. Uh, you might have heard of him. Uh, he's the maestro, and nobody gets the Seinfeld reference anymore, right? <laughs> but it wasn't the maestro. It's a, another friend, and we had a great time there. We had a great time in Venice and Florence. The thing about Venice to me, though, was... Uh, beautiful, absolutely stunningly beautiful. But there are no more Venetians. Nobody lives in Venice anymore. Venice is like Disneyland for Italy. It's uh, it's absolutely beautiful. You got the the boats and the canals and the gondola rides and everything you would think about about Venice. The old buildings, the old churches, the whole thing. But nobody lives there. I mean, I went to a dozen churches. I saw one nun the entire time I was there. And there are all these, you know, apartments above the storefronts, which are on the ground level. Nobody lives in them. They are, uh, it's, it's tourists only. 55,000 tourists per day go to Venice with an average three-day stay. And it's like a three-mile city. I mean, there's, there's nothing to it. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a blast. The food was awesome. I ate like a pig. But we walked so much. Like average twenty eight thousand steps a day walking around Venice, Florence, and Rome. That uh, I didn't gain any weight. I gained a half a pound. Um, I ate more bread in the last ten days than I la- ate in the last ten months, <laughs> literally, uh, the last ten months, and um, was able to walk it all off. I ran, kept my running streak alive. So I'm pretty excited about that. So uh, it was a great trip. It was surreal though, watching the news from abroad, and even the few conversations I had with some Italians about the state of politics in the United States, I think they're, they're befuddled by it as well. Because uh, I don't think most people ever thought the United States would put up with this. And, and it, it, it's not like the United States has put up with it, right? The voters rejected Trumpism in 2018. But what people don't understand is why are people within his own party still allowing this to go on? It, I don't understand it. They don't understand it. It is a confusing time right now in American politics. So, uh, but here we are, right? I mean, we're at this stage and the the Democrats are, the Democrats are trying to pick a contender and they're doing the best to tear each other apart. And I think the most recent phenomenon, and I think, uh, look, I can't play the clip. I don't have license to the clip. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Bill Maher. I've said that before on my radio show, on this show, on television. I think Bill Maher is a genius. I don't agree with everything he does, but I agree with most of it, frankly. Um, but he made an excellent point on his show last week where, you know, at the end, he does the, the you know, the um, editorial at the end of his show uh, when he does new rules. The last thing he does, he calls that the editorial. It's a long form rant about something kind of like what I do here. And he pointed out, you know, this whole who's more woke and why weren't you woke in 1980? And, and, you know, people need to stop pretending that if they were alive or in power in 1980 that they would have been acting the same way they act today. Uh, It's absolutely right. Uh, You know, I compare it to, you know, looking at the, the, the paintings and the ruins that I saw in Italy. 
I mean, those people believed a certain thing, you know, 2,000 years ago that, you know, some of them believed that the world was flat. And stop pretending that 2,000 years ago you would have known the world was round. You wouldn't have. And, you know, for like people like Gillibrand to be calling out Joe Biden for an editorial he wrote in 1980, it's ridiculous. And Joe Biden needs to be better at saying, hey, man, you know, what I wrote in 1980 doesn't apply today. I've evolved. People change. Times change. Things change. Move on. Let's talk about what we're going to do now. Let's talk about what we're going to do in the future. I mean, he may be the nominee, but this woke Olympics that we're having at these debates are not solving any problems. The problem we have right now is we have a president who doesn't understand his job. A president who's really not fit for the job. You're not the most woke. You just weren't in power in 1980. You, you know, Joe Biden was. He's got a lot of experience under his feet. He's got a long record. And not everything in his record is going to hold up today. I mean, Eddie Murphy's got a special coming out on Netflix soon, right? They paid him a boatload of money to do a comedy special. We start looking at his old specials and comparing them to what we think about today and what's appropriate today. I mean, they're going to run him out of town. And they shouldn't. And I'm not saying that, you know, that it's good, that it wasn't hurtful. I'm not saying that at all. But it was a different time. Things have changed. Eddie Murphy has changed. Joe Biden has changed. We've got to back off this. Or we're going to get nowhere. Okay? And I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not one of those people who say, well, we've got to figure out that white working class voter in in Michigan. I don't think we do. I don't think we need to figure out the white working class male in Michigan who thinks that the Republican Party has his interests at mind. The unionized worker who thinks that the Republican Party cares about them. No, they don't. They would crush your union and make you a slave if they could. Now, I don't, I don't think we got to figure that out. I think we do have to mo- you know, motivate people who didn't come out and vote for Hillary Clinton to come out and vote for whoever our candidate is. Whether it's Joe Biden or Elizabeth Warren or Kamala or Cory Booker or even Bernie. But I do think that we got to stop tearing each other down. And we got to stop giving ammunition from 1980. I don't think anybody cares. Look, I, I don't think anybody cares, right? I mean, Gillibrand brings out that article, and I, I like Kirsten I like her. She brings up an article from 1981? Come on. I was nine. I mean, it, it's, a, it's, it's something that you don't, you don't do. It's not needed. It doesn't matter. And guess what? Nobody cares. What does that make you more woke? And by the way, he didn't even say in that article what you said he said. So it's really, honestly, it's draining. And I'm tired of these 22 candidates. Right now, only seven have qualified for the seven debates, uh, for the September debates. Let's hope we keep it under 10. Because enough's enough. I I don't want to see, you know, Marilyn Williamson or anybody who just has no chance of being president. I don't, I'm done. Time to get serious. We've got a serious problem in this country and its name is Donald Trump. Stop trying to outdo yourself and stop, you know, Bill Maher said it better than I could say. I I, I encourage you all 
to Google Bill Maher new rules August 9th. Fantastic. His closing monologue was fantastic. On point. Must read. Uh, you know, I would like to see the DNC take that and send it to every candidate running for president and ask them to sign on to it. You know, millennials act like they woke up and everything was, you know, they are the saviors and their wokeness is going to save us when there has been 200 years of evolution in this country that we have witnessed. And some people evolve and some people don't. And most people who are progressives by their very nature seek progress and they evolve and they move forward. And calling them out for things they did 40 years ago, 30 years ago, makes no sense. Makes no sense. Talk about what their policies are now. Where are we now? And Joe Biden's got to do a better job when he's attacked like that. He needs to say, look, uh, you know, here's my policies now. Here's where I stand now. I've had a long career. I've had a long career. I've done a lot of things. Most of it I'm very proud of. Some of it. I'm not. Some of it, had I known better, I would have voted differently on. But here's where I stand now. And move on. Because they're going to do it. I mean, you know, not everybody's going to take that oath. Where are you now? What are you going to do for us now? How are you going to defeat Trump? How are you going to bring this country back to a place where people respect each other? How are you going to do that? That's what we need, right? That's what we need in our candidates. We need people who are ready to move this country forward, to repair the damages of the last four years of Trump in this country. And we need somebody who's going to win. All right, just a couple more minutes before uh, I, I, I shut things down here. I just want to I, I talk a little bit about uh, my trip. I had a great time in Italy, and I hope you enjoyed my uh, the podcast I recorded before I left, I, I I know it didn't address what was going on while I was gone, and and you know really, um, but it did address the need for us to move forward as a country, and you know where do we go next? The new nothing, the new know nothings, the hyper partisan era. How do we get past it? And that's something that's going to be a recurring theme on this program, both when I'm live and when I'm on vacation. I don't take that many vacations, America, so. Uh, I'll be live most of the time. But, I, you know, it, it is interesting to look at America while you're in Europe. I watched some CNN International. I watched the BBC. I watched um, this channel called France 24, which had an English language um, news broadcast. And I got to watch how they were viewing us. And, and they're just straight down the middle, right? They don't have this back and forth. CNN International is just CNN, right? So they do what CNN does. And some of the programs like the Situation Room and um, Jake Tapper, it's kind of interesting watching Jake Tapper at 10 o'clock when you're getting ready to go to bed. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it is a uh, it is interesting to look back from, you know, being 6,000 miles away and and seeing how others are looking at the country. It gives you a whole new perspective. And I, I'm hoping that, I can carry that with me uh, going forward. It's been a very interesting summer for me. I mean, you guys have 
have heard, you know, you I talked about my brother, the loss of my brother. This is my first trip to Europe. I, you know, I've been to Canada. I've been to Mexico. I've been to the Caribbean, been all over the United States, but I'd never been to Europe. And you get a totally different perspective in Europe, especially as an adult, right? Um, a totally different perspective. So I'm hoping that I can share that perspective through my work uh, going forward. But, you know, if you haven't been there, um, it's a special place. And I got to see some special things. Uh, uh, the Sistine Chapel uh, in the Vatican uh, was amazing to me. Um, and, and Michelangelo's David uh, in the Academy in, in Florence was just, I mean, I was moved by it. And, and more so, I was moved when I, you know, I have studied Rome my entire life. I've talked about Rome. I, uh, you know, I, 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 I was so moved the first time I saw the Colosseum. And it, it was, it was beautiful. I, there's a monument, I can't remember the name of the monument, but it's a big monument that they, they nicknamed the typewriter. It's a, uh, a monument to the unification of Italy, which happened in the 1860s. And it's a big marble monument that you could climb up. And it's got a lot of steps. And when I got to the top of this, uh, of this monument, I looked out and there it was. I wasn't expecting to see it, but there it was, the Colosseum. And I got choked up. I got choked up there and I got choked up when I see, saw the David. Uh, and it's funny, you know, you, we've all seen pictures of both of these things millions of times. And in Florence, there are two uh, replicas of the David, one outside of the Uffizi Museum and the other um, at this uh, piazza called the Piazza di Michelangelo, which I didn't see till the last day I was in Florence. I ran up to it, which was really a great run. Uh, but, um, but seeing that work, that masterpiece, it's just jaw dropping. And, uh, and, and, you know, that, that Academy Museum really just exists for that purpose. There are other works of art there, but that, particular masterpiece I didn't expect to be moved by it I, I didn't expect to, to react to it the way I did but then I saw it and I'm like oh I get it now I, I never got it until I actually saw it until I stood there and all I wanted to do was just sit there and 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 look at it and and examine it and marvel at how Michelangelo took this leftover piece of marble from building a castle that, you know, uh, the Medici's were, were building a castle and he, he took this leftover piece of marble and in one, it's, it's one solid piece of marble and he carved this exquisite sculpture that, I, I don't know, it just was, it, it, to me, it's just an accomplishment that, you know, it's like, that is greatness. That is absolute perfection and greatness. And the same thing with the Colosseum that, you know, I have talked about it. I have read about it. I've obviously we've all seen Gladiator and, and we've, we've all watched History Channel stories about the Colosseum. But to actually see it with my own eyes moved me. And, uh, you know, another achievement of man. And you think about Rome 
and you think about the advances of Rome, you think of the advances that had to exist for a city of 1 million people approximately 2,000 years ago to exist, 1,800 years ago to exist. It was, it was a million people living in Rome. So they had to build infrastructure to support those million people. Aqueducts, sewers, roads, all this had to be built. And then for 500 years, all that knowledge was just lost after the fall of Rome. And you wonder, can it happen again? Will it happen again? How do we stop it from happening again? So it gives you a real perspective, America. I, I highly encourage you, if you can, if you have the means, and I really didn't have the means until recently to take a trip like this. I mean, I guess I could have backpacked it like I wanted to do after I graduated college, you know, and, and gone through Europe on a shoestring and maybe worked my way through Europe if I could. But uh, I didn't. I went right to work and then I went to law school. And then I went right to work after that. Uh, so I was really, I really feel privileged and honored that, you know, my career and the support of people like you listening to me have given me the opportunity uh, to go on trips like that. And I hope I could go on more and gain even better perspective and share that perspective with you. So, um, thank you. All right. I guess that's all you need from me from today. So I got to remind you all to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, America, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there and I know you'll find it if you search hard enough for it and I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Investor Progressive Podcast. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. <laughs> 